And that's what I would call surviving. It's being able to kind of meet life head on and be able to deal with it. What does true wellness mean to you? I'm Claudia Cometa, and that is the question I will be leading with in the Minding Wellness podcast. Each and every week, I will bring you experts who will share their personal wellness journeys and their insights into what it means to mind our wellness. Health is a state of body. Wellness is a state of being. Let's dive into improving our state of being. This week on the Minding Wellness Podcast, I am excited to bring you Catherine Keneally. She is a 40-something microbiologist turned engineer turned nutritionist who has run her own nutrition practice for the past 10 years. She sees private clients and also lectures in nutritional therapy. Catherine notices from clients and friends that the 40s are the age when many women start to notice symptoms of getting older, tiredness, achiness, and a feeling of being flat. Most people think that this is an unavoidable part of getting older. They are also often concerned about what menopause has in store for them. Catherine has a program called From Surviving to Thriving that helps these women shake off that feeling and get back their zest for life. I'm excited to bring on Catherine. She has an adorable accent. She spends half of her time in Ireland and half in Seattle and does some pretty amazing work with the women that she serves. Enjoy. All right. What an honor and pleasure to have Catherine Keneally on the podcast today. And she is coming to us from Ireland and you're going to love her accent. I told her you really probably don't need to say a whole lot because people are just going to love hearing anything you say. We just love accents. So thank you so much for coming on, Catherine. Thanks for having me, Claudia. Um, I'm really looking forward to this actually. So um, thank you for inviting me on. Oh, so happy to have you. I know your insights will be so valuable. So as we always start, I ask my guests, what does true wellness mean to you? That's such a great question, Claudia. I think, and I think it's individual for everybody, right? But I was thinking about that today. And I think for me, you know, wellness is when someone gets up out of bed in the morning and they have the energy and they're looking forward to having a good day. You know, I think that's the definition of it for me. I don't think wellness, you know, there's a lot of physical attributes, obviously, that relate to wellness, like having good energy, you know, having good hormonal balance, good digestion. But I think a lot of it is mental attitude as well. So I think when people feel well and they believe they have good health, that's a very, very important form of wellness as well. I don't think it necessarily means absence of disease. I think some people can have an illness and still be very, very well. And it's to do with our outlook how we feel, the control we feel we have over our own health and how we view things. But for me, it's that feeling of getting out of bed in the morning and looking forward to the day and having resilience, you know, so no matter what life throws at us, that we're able to cope with it well and to get through it, you know, so that that's really how I feel wellness is. Mm, I definitely love that, Catherine. And I love the visuals. I love pointing out that the absence of illness is not the only defining point of wellness and that it doesn't even require the absence of illness. So all really great points. Let's dive in now to your backstory. So talk to us a little bit about how Catherine became the Catherine of today. 
<laughs> well, it's actually really interesting, I think. Um, so I'm a nutritional therapist. Um, I've, I've been in, in my, have my own practice now for the past 10 years. And the, the nutrition I do is based on the functional medicine model. So really looking at getting to the root cause of illness um, looking at the different systems in the body and the different systems that um, are out of balance that are leading to a particular illness and then working on that and um, creating individual protocols for clients to deal with those specific imbalances. So I started off, I did science in college, actually, I've always really liked science. So I did a degree in microbiology and biochemistry. And then that was in Ireland. And then I moved to the States. And I started working in the aerospace industry, which had nothing at all to do with microbiology or biochemistry, but it was really interesting and it was a job I really enjoyed. And I was working, you know, I was in my 20s at that stage, you know, I think like everyone in their 20s, like working really long hours, loved my job, but like long hours and um, probably not eating the best diet, plenty of partying with my friends, you know, and plenty of, you know, beer and all of that. And um, my health was pretty good, actually. I would have said my health was good at that stage. I had, like, I get the odd bit of IBS. I might get, like, might get a bit of PMS and things. But generally, I was actually in really good health. But I was working really long hours. And I remember um, I went to these beautiful islands off Washington State called the Orcas Islands. And one, one weekend, we spent a weekend up there. And I remember just that feeling of stepping away from the city stepping away from work we stayed in this beautiful resort called the Doe Bay Resort and they had like the food was really good it was really simple really tasty and really nutritious the weather was really good the nature is beautiful there we were kayaking and we were you know swimming and just relaxing and I remember feeling as if I had stepped off a treadmill and going oh my god everybody needs to have this feeling of wellness I felt so well on that weekend and that really stayed in my mind, okay? It was kind of always there, fermenting in the, in the back of my mind. And um, a couple of years later then, I left the States and I went to live in Australia for a year. And Australia, of course, has an amazing climate. It's a really healthy lifestyle. Everybody is outdoors all the time because of the climate. It's very sporty. The food is really good. They've got really good, lots of, you know, fresh fruit, vegetables, and they eat really healthily there. And that ingrained some really, really good habits in me. And again, it was that understanding of what wellness is, you know, the food, the lifestyle, the exercise, being outdoors in nature. And that all kind of was layering itself into my consciousness, I suppose. And I came back to live in Ireland and I started working for a company here um, in medical devices, really enjoyed the job, but I really wanted to, um, I'd always been interested in nutrition and health, you know, ever since I had done my degree. And I um, started studying nutritional therapy part-time while I was working. So I studied that for three and a half years. And the whole thing with nutritional therapy, it just felt like all my values were coming together. You know, the, the interest in science, the interest in nutrition, the interest in health, and really delving into how everybody's um, illness comes about because of different reasons and creating, looking at individual reasons why someone was unwell and what you needed to amend for them to help them become well. So it was bringing the science in, it was bringing the nutrition in, it was bringing the health and wellness. And nutritional therapy is very much about educating and empowering people as well. So they walk away from you knowing why they've become sick and how the measures they're going to take for you are going to improve their health. So I think that empowerment was something I really liked and I felt all my values were coming together in one career. So I started up as a nutritional therapist <laughs> 10 years ago, just as the worst recession in history had hit Ireland. And um, I just started doing that and I've been doing that for 10 years now. So I, um, I see clients um, 
quite a lot of clients, but I do a lot of lecturing as well. So it's a wonderful career. And um, I think it's, like I said, it's bringing together everything that I believe in, you know. What a fantastic story from airspace industry to <laughs> nutritional therapy, but those are the best stories, you know, it's, um, I just, I love, and I love the visual and the details that you put into the story of your experience on the Orcas Islands, such a beautiful location. We talked a bit briefly before about the fact that I used to live in Bellingham and we actually did visit those islands and it's just if you know the listeners are listening and, and need a place to, to go in the summer, it just couldn't get any more amazing. Uh, maybe Australia, but I can't speak to that since I haven't been there. Now I want to go there after you describe that. But, but so fantastic that you took that experience and walked away from it thinking, but this is amazing and how can I continue this? Not only continue it, but then become an educator in it. Whereas, you know, I think a lot of us end up seeing that as, oh, that's the vacation. Now let me go back to work and let me go back to my status quo. And then hopefully I can get a vacation that feels like this again. You wanted to turn it into, but why can't I live like this? So, so I love, I love, love, love that. So thank you so much for sharing that. And I, I've looked a little bit into your work and you talk about the difference between surviving and thriving. Can you dive deeper into those concepts. Um, I don't think anybody would argue with the fact that thriving sounds and has a much better feeling than surviving does. So how might an individual start making that transition and even just beginning by identifying the fact that they're not already thriving and then how do they start making that transition? Absolutely. So I think, you know, I have, um, I have a program for women called From Surviving to Thriving. And even when I tell people the title of the program, they already know what I mean without me having to explain it at all. I think the two words themselves resonate really strongly with people. And I think the surviving part, I guess, was me like in my 20s and even kind of into my 30s as well, where, you know, you, know, you had a good job you really liked, but you were working long hours um, diet maybe wasn't as good as it should have been. And then I think in your 20s, you bounce back from that really easily because we're very resilient when we're in our 20s. But then as we move into our 30s and we start to have kids and we get a mortgage, work, there's a lot going on in work that can take a toll on um, our health, you know, and it's not necessarily big things. Like for some people, they may end up with like, say, chronic fatigue or something like that. But for a lot of people, they just start to get a little run down. So, you know, maybe they start to feel more tired than usual. They get a good night's sleep, but they're waking up in the morning and just not feeling like they've had that good night's sleep. Or maybe they find that their digestion is a little bit off. They get IBS or they get constipation and they don't quite know why. Um, with women, hormones, you know, all of a sudden PMS, instead of being two or three days out of the month, it's a week out of the month or longer. So it's all these little things like more headaches, more aches and pains, waking up feeling tired in the morning. And so that's what I would call surviving. So you're kind of getting by, you know, you're not ill, inverted commas, but you're not kind of blooming as well as you should be as well and a lot of that is down to quite a lot of factors it can be a poor diet but i see a lot of people who have great diets but a lot of it is to do with having continuous levels of cortisol which is a very important hormone but cortisol needs to be produced in balance in the body and a lot of people their cortisol they're producing cortisol all day long rather than just producing it at the time of day they're supposed to be producing and then switching it off and what happens with cortisol is that if you're making it all day long you're supposed to it's kind of switch off your cortisol production about two or three in the afternoon and that allows you to and um, it allows your immune system to move into another phase of immunity and if you it also allows your body to rest and digest as cortisol goes down later in the day you start making melatonin which allows you to fall asleep 
And if you have continuous high cortisol, which a lot of people do because of stress or that feeling of chasing your tail, too much coffee, skipping meals, and what happens is you keep producing cortisol all the way through into the evening. And that affects melatonin production. So it affects your ability to sleep. Over time, it affects your immune system and it affects your ability to digest food properly. So one of the first things that I'd work with with clients is um, for if they've got digestive issues, it's actually working on stress reduction so that the um, the body can or the digestive system can lock into what we call the parasympathetic nervous system, which is the calming part of the nervous system that allows you to digest your food properly. So if you're making cortisol all day long, it starts affecting the immune system you know, your serotonin and melatonin levels, your digestive system, and you just start to feel a little bit run down over time. And um, so that's what, what one of the big drivers of kind of just about surviving, you know, and um, the thriving part then is about that feeling of waking up in the morning and feeling full of energy, ready to go, um, you know, for the day. And also, I think, Claudia, feeling more resilient. That's a word that I use a lot, but I really, you know, from working with clients, that's one of the things I had noticed is how I came up with the program. Whatever people came in with, I'd noticed that their energy was getting better, just their whole resilience to the stresses of life were getting better. So it's not that their stresses had changed, but their ability to handle them was a lot better. And that's what I would call surviving. It's being able to kind of meet life head on and be able to deal with it, you know. And I think what surprised me was for most people, it wasn't difficult to get them from just surviving to that feeling of thriving. And, you know, it it was relatively easy. Now, not for everyone, because, you know, some people have more serious underlying issues. But um, it's just that feeling of, I call it joie de vivre, you know, and being able to, to being able to have, you know, cope with life and have a good quality of life. Mm, lots of really important points there to unpack. First, I love the statement of not necessarily feeling ill or being ill, but not blooming. I think that that's an important point because I feel like people, if they're not ill, so they don't have an active diagnosis going on or an active condition that that is being treated, that they're okay, even they're not. They don't have that sense of thriving like you just so eloquently described. And um, that's what I was hoping that you would do is just say, what does it it even look like or feel like to thrive? I know a lot of us don't even necessarily know what that means. Maybe we have fleeting moments of feeling really well, but those are so fleeting that we forget. And in between are all the, like you mentioned, the headaches and the aches and the pains, but the waking up and the feeling full of energy and the resilient I think is, is, you know, certainly not arguable that we would all want more of that. So, and I think that it's really great that you have utilized that terminology and described it so well, because I think a lot of us, especially females can resonate with the, just, you know, not feeling rested, not waking up and feeling like it's another day I've got to get through, I've got to survive rather than mm-hmm. thrive. So really great descriptors there. I know you work a lot with hormones. So from a hormonal perspective, what do you find are the common imbalances women struggle with and what would be your approach to that? So you could even maybe here share an example of, you know, obviously without any identifiers of what that looks like. So somebody coming coming to you, whether it's virtual or in an actual location and what that would look like in, you know, taking them from the, from the surviving to the thriving. Yeah, I think, um, and just before I answer that, just to go back to the last point there, you know, about the headaches and the, you know, the achiness and stuff. I think a lot of us feel that that's just part of getting older and that it's inevitable that we're just going to become more tired 
Um, that's what I hear a lot. And I was like, no, I'm like, no, no, <laughs> there is a lot we can do. It's not that we don't have to live with these symptoms. You know, there are things that we can do to improve those. So, um, so that's, I just wanted to say that, but coming to the hormonal imbalances then there, so I work with a lot of, um, women with, with like hormonal issues. So PMS, for example, and um, dysmenorrhea, I work with PCOS, endometriosis, all that kind of thing. And I would say like, it's an interesting question that the, probably the most predominant hormonal imbalance I would see, and I think it's the same for all practitioners would be um, a dominance estrogen over progesterone. So a lot of symptoms like say, or sorry, our illnesses like PMS and even key factors in say endometriosis as well and um, estrogen dominance, having too much estrogen relative to progesterone in your body is out of balance. So as I'm sure you know, estrogen and progesterone kind of um, complement each other in the body. And when they're in balance, you know, periods are meant to be pain-free they're meant to be PMS free. We're not supposed to be weepy and irritable and tired coming up to our periods. They should be just, you know, a normal part of life. And for a lot of women, because of the amount of estrogen that's in our water supply, um, we, we become what we call estrogen dominant. So having too much estrogen in our system and then progesterone, which is extremely important. We're under, again, the cortisol. So there's a mechanism called cortisol, meal, which you've probably heard of which means that when we've got high levels of cortisol over a long period of time in our body, cortisol is, the body will always prioritize cortisol because it's basically one of our survival hormones. But cortisol and um, progesterone have the same building block. And if, you're, if the body is prioritizing cortisol, it will steal those building blocks away from progesterone production. So it's really common to see women not making enough progesterone and then having too much estrogen um, because of, like I said, the plastics that are in our environment and also not clearing estrogen properly out of our body. So it passed through a couple of pathways in the liver where it gets detoxified and then it passes from there into the digestive system, into the gut. And um, in the gut, you have to have the right balance of beneficial bacteria. You need to have enough bile being produced. So bile is really important to transport estrogen out of the body. And for a lot of us, if we're under stress, um, you know, we're not going to make bile as efficiently as we should because our digestive system isn't functioning optimally. And if we're, you know, eating a lot of sugar, if we take antibiotics regularly, um, that can throw off our balance of beneficial bacteria as opposed to the pathogenic bacteria in the gut. So that imbalance of too much estrogen and not enough progesterone is probably the most uh, common imbalance that I would see. And what I would do with uh, with people around that is I am um, I would first look at um, supporting their stress systems. So the adrenal glands, which are our stress systems, they make cortisol and they make some of the progesterone in the body as well. I'd work at regulating the adrenal um, function. So that's looking at things like you know cutting back on your stimulants. So and I my approach to nutrition, Claudia, it's not about you can never have coffee again or you can never have anything sweet it's about moderation so if you're drinking four cups of coffee a day cutting back to one cup a day or two cups a day you know or maybe switching over to like a herbal tea or my favorite thing at the moment is rooibos tea i don't know if you've had that it's a caffeine free tea that um actually tastes you know in ireland we're big into our cups of tea and like rooibos is definitely the one that i have found is the most like the tea we drink here without having the caffeine in it so supporting cortisol production by reducing caffeine levels and eating regularly so keeping our blood sugar balanced is really really important for cortisol and um, balance as well so rather than having you know something very high carb 
a kind of a protein rich breakfast with some good fats in there. So like I love to do smoothies with um, the Icelandic yogurt, which is really high in protein, uh, high in protein, and then put in like berries and things like that as well. And some seeds. Um, then making sure you've protein at every meal so and some good fat at every meal so rather than having say you know a sandwich for lunch um having maybe like a salad with like chicken or fish and then having some good quality like olive oil dressing over that as well um, and then at dinner again making sure you cut back in your carbs and i would say for the dinner plate your dinner plate should be 50 percent vegetables 25 percent protein and 25 percent carbs and that's a good way to kind of keep your carbs in moderation without needing to cut them out so cutting back on your stimulants keeping your blood sugar balanced um, and then the other thing i do for cortisol support is really working with lifestyle measures so things as simple as you know exercising going out for a walk every day um, and if your life is very stressful, um, so a lot of people have quite stressful lives and then when they work out, they work out really intensely. And that can be really good for a lot of people. But for some people, if they work out too hard, and particularly if you feel that you're really tired and it takes you a while to recuperate from working out, you need a lot of cortisol to repair your body after a tough workout. And what can happen is that if you if you're producing a lot of cortisol because you know you've got a lot going on in work and in life or whatever, then that additional cortisol you need to produce to repair your body after an intense workout can actually deplete the body over time. So sometimes it's about actually going for more gentle workouts, and this completely depends on the person where they're at. Um, so sometimes about going for more gentle workouts rather than always going for you know the tough workout. So there, the, and then things like breathing, I find is very good for cortisol. So we have what we call you know paced breathing. That's really good to help um, keep the nervous system in its in a more relaxed mode and help reduce cortisol production. So that is one of the first things I do to help with the progesterone. Um, production the second thing then is i would work on um, reducing estrogen levels and generally again it would depend on the client and what's going on for them because everyone's individual but i would be looking at things like liver function so putting in foods that support the pathways in the liver that clear estrogen so your green leafy vegetables like broccoli broccoli sprouts um cabbage kale um, Brussels sprouts, cauliflower, they're all really, really supportive of estrogen clearance in the gut. I'd also use a lot of foods like garlic and onions, so the sulfur-based foods, and then I'd back them up with things like eggs. Avocados are excellent for the liver. They're really high in glutathione. So I'd use foods that really support liver detoxification. And then I would work on the gut because um, once the uh, estrogen has passed through the liver, it then needs to clear out of the gut. So if somebody is constipated, they're not going to clear estrogen as well as they should. So I'd be working on improving bowel movements to at least one a day. So plenty of water um, is one of the first things. Um, I would use, you know, kind of fiber rich foods as well. Not always wheat based fiber. That works really well for some people, but for other people, it can have the opposite effect. So I would use things like maybe, you know, legumes, beans, um, fruits, vegetables, and then grains, maybe like oats and brown rice and quinoa and things like that. So what they're going to do is they're going to help um, improve bowel movement so that estrogen clears out but they also provide the fiber for the beneficial bacteria in the gut to chew down on and create what we call short chain fatty acids that are very beneficial for the gut wall and for immune balance within the gut 
Um, so that, that so the liver and the, the gut are what I'd work on. And then um, I would put in things like magnesium rich foods and B6 rich foods because magnesium and B6 is very important for estrogen clearance in the body as well. Um, and then plenty of uh, essential fats, particularly omega-3. Um, a lot of women with um, period issues um, have a lot, a lot of inflammation. So omega-3 is really important to help manage inflammation in the body. So my ideal source for omega-3 is oily fish. Um, flax seeds are great. Um, you know, pumpkin seeds, walnuts are good sources. But fish, obviously with you know, omega-3, the EPA and DHA that we get in oily fish is in the form that the body can use directly itself. So I'd be getting people to shoot for having maybe, you know, three to four portions of oily fish a week. Okay. This is all fantastic information. I can imagine that um, somebody listening who is hearing this for the first or maybe second time um, might feel a little bit overwhelmed. There's so much information here that I recommend the listeners potentially re-listen to that section. But what I want to point out, if I'm going to summarize what you said, I want to point out the fact that when you talked about, well, first of all, I love that you say estrogen. I kind of want to change my own pronunciation of that because I say estrogen, <laughs> but now I, I feel like it sounds so much better. But, um, but what I want to point out is that you started by saying that one of the more common hormonal imbalances is a dominance of estrogen over progesterone. And mm -hmm. the following statement was not, let's just give a supplemental progesterone um, to balance that. The result of your conversation was that you are supporting the body to rebalance. And that's, I think, what I want to share with the listeners if they didn't maybe catch all of those details, which you can always go back and listen to is your approach is not to synthetically shift that. Your approach is to support the body to do what it was already supposed to do. It just has not been supported in a way that allows that. Does that sound like what exactly. you're... Okay, yeah, perfect. That's I, exactly it. And I think it's getting because, and I mean, it's fine if people want to you know, use progesterone. That's obviously, that, that's absolutely fine. And it works for a lot of people, but you're not dealing with the root cause of why you're not making your own progesterone in the first place. And I guess that's where I like to work at, you know, the fundamental levels of... Um, why why are you not making real progesterone you know and then working on that and doing it through food as much as possible yes no and i and i love the approach and i love that you gave a reasoning behind each step of this you know so you know because we need to reduce the estrogen dominance here are the foods that will help with that and why because of liver function because of the gut function and so i, I love that you give reasoning behind it. And it's not just a litany of here's what to eat and what not to eat. So super helpful. But before we move on, you mentioned a tea and I don't know what kind of tea that is. Say that. Can you actually oh, spell that tea? Bosch, Roy Bosch tea. <laughs> How so do you spell that? R-O-O-I-B-O-S. It's a South African tea. Redbush. It's sometimes called Redbush. So maybe you're more familiar with that. Fantastic. You can definitely, you know, you know, I work, you know, I'm in the US as well, part-time and I have definitely bought it in the US too. So it's available. Fantastic. <laughs> okay. Well. I couldn't miss the opportunity to get that right because I have not had that kind of tea and I, I would have not spelled it that way. So I'm glad that, but we clarified that for the listeners and for myself, because now I feel like I need to go try that out. Perfect. All right. So, you know, because of the age I'm at and the people who I am surrounded with are of similar age, I'm hearing a lot from sort of premenopausal, menopausal females mentioning some of the surviving symptoms that we already mentioned, which is, you know, feeling sluggish. Um, of course, they're adding hot flashes to that. Um, you know, that's kind of where 
the my circle is is talking right now you know with the mental realities of moving out of childbearing years and sort of into into the older age what is you know your thoughts on that what do you feel traditional medicine maybe does wrong or doesn't do fully to the best extent with this population? And what would be your approach to that specific age group and their symptomatology? Yeah, I think that's a great question. I think one of the life-changing things for me, Claudia, was I remember reading a Chinese medicine book or being a Chinese medicine lecture, you know, when I started out and this maybe about 10 years ago. And I remember the practitioner saying that, you know, in, um, you know, in Asia, that pretty much menopause is a non-event. You know, your periods stop, you move into the next phase of your life and that's it. Hot flushes, um, night sweats, social anxiety, they're not really an issue. You know, it's just a cessation of periods. And that was mind-blowing because I know in, you know, in the Western civil uh, world or whatever, we, like, I think women dread menopause. They, they hear so many horror stories about it and they're just, it's something that they know they're going to have to go through and have to put up with. Um, and it, there's just not something they look forward to, but that's not, that's very common, but it's not how it's supposed to be. So I think to come at it from that angle, first of all, is really important. And I don't think that's a way, the way that traditional medicine really looks at it, you know, um, ideally with menopause, um, you kind of want, if possible, you want to be able to prep yourself for a couple of years before you start going into your menopausal years. And the reason for that is um, there a lot of the uh, systems that I talked about earlier. So like, say, for example, the adrenals, the cortisol system, your blood sugar, the digestive system, the liver. So if you are struggling health-wise, and again, that's not being ill, it's just all these you know, subclinical um, symptoms that you're getting. If you're getting those in your 30s and your 40s, it's almost draining your resilience that's within you. And then when menopause comes, you don't have the fortitude to be able to have symptom menopause. So um, I use herbs with clients. I use supplements with clients. But the first thing I do is I go back to the basics. So I go back to um, things like, you know, supporting the adrenal glands, really supporting the liver to make sure that the liver is detoxifying hormones the way it should be. Um, I really work with the um, the gut as well. So again, making sure there isn't any dysbiosis there, there isn't any constipation present. If clients have, you know, say IBS or IBD, we work on supporting that as well. And they're the fundamental thing because you can be putting in like, like the herbs are great. Like so you've got red clover, you've got sage, they're all really good but you have to get the foundations right as well. So that's where I would start with clients first. I'd make sure that their systems, their blood sugar, their liver, their adrenals, and their gut um, are functioning very well. And then we, once we would see how, and I work, you can do this once menopause has started as well. It does ideally beforehand, but it, you still get a good results once it's started. And then once those fundamentals are, are kind of set in place, then we start looking at things, we look at what symptoms are still there. And then I start looking at things like herbs, like, you know, like I said, the sage, Agnes Castus, maca, whatever we want to use there. And I think what interests me about menopause, and again, this is linking back to the, you know, the medical model. Um, with herbs, every woman is different. There is, you know, not necessarily a way to predict which herbs are going to be the most beneficial for each for each um for each woman that comes in with symptoms and i think it is all very very individual and that's why we have to take an individual approach with women and create protocols for women that are based on their particular imbalances and their particular needs 
And I think the other thing as well, and that kind of comes back to what I was saying, you know, um, when, when I talk about health, um, I think women feel very disempowered about menopause and menopausal symptoms and other health issues too. And I think working with them to help get the fundamentals right can give them a sense of ownership back over their health again and going, well, I'm going to take control <laughs> of these symptoms rather than have the symptoms control me, you know? Yeah, I love the point of empowerment. And I think that a lot of the work that you have described that you do, which a lot of it is lifestyle and nutrition, um, really does put the power back because when we're focusing only on medication and in office, in clinic treatments, then we don't feel like there's a whole lot we can do on our own. And we are completely dependent on a medical system to help us. But you are teaching your clients how to manage and rebalance in a lifestyle way. So I think that that's a huge part of the empowerment. And I think it's also really important to point out what you've pointed out a few times here, which is that it's not inevitable. It's not inevitable that we suffer with PMS for a week and it's not, and we don't have to accept that menopause is going to be this horrible train wreck that we can. And I love the thought of and concept of preparing in advance for it, because I do feel like there's this undercurrent of acceptance of, okay, well, when it comes, it's just going to be the worst part of my life. And I'm just going to have to accept that. And, and, you know, I, I think that that empowerment piece is where that comes in is no, you're empowered to get back to the basics and change some of these lifestyle um, factors that can help you move through that in a much more seamless way, in a way that you mentioned is a non-event for some people in the in the world and other parts of the world. So, really, really interesting and great to know that you are in the trenches of this work and that you're seeing the results. That yeah. this is not a nebulous theory or you know a utopian idea that oh yeah, if we only ate our kale, everything would be fine. But that there really is a lot of a lot of proof and evidence that you can take somebody from from just surviving to thriving. So I appreciate you going through all of that. I'm sure people are listening and because of a few factors, one, your awesome, um, your awesome accent and two, because of all the amazing things you've said, they may want to find you online. So where can people find you? Absolutely. So my website is www.catherinekeneally.com and I'm going to spell that for you. <laughs> so it's Catherine C A. T-H-E-R-I-N-E-K-E-N-N-E-A-L-L-Y.com. Fabulous. And I will have that in the show notes as well. So if anybody didn't catch that as they're listening, you are welcome to click on that in the show notes. Thank you so much for sharing all these amazing insights, Catherine. I'm so happy that you had that experience in Orcas Island that put you on this journey that now is a ripple effect to all the clients that you help. So thank you so much. Thank you so much for having me, Claudia. A huge thank you to Catherine for coming on, sharing her insights, despite the time zone difference and difficulties of arranging schedule. I appreciated her insights into the hormonal issues that many women face that maybe don't have to face that we assume are part of getting older, but don't have to be. And some of her practical advice for moving forward through that in a holistic way. I hope that you found a value in this and that you'll share if you did. I'll see you here again next time.